Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Bob McDonald. We have a special bonus episode for Quirks and Quarks listeners. White Coat Blackheart is a CBC radio program and podcast hosted by emergency physician Dr. Brian Goldman. It tells poignant and provocative stories that help demystify the world of medicine. The episode we're sharing today is about something you'll want to know more about, the rise of the anti-science movement. In his new book, U.S. pediatrician and vaccine scientist Dr. Peter Hotez warns that the anti-vaccine movement has morphed into a dangerous anti-science force. He says failing to act now will threaten our ability to fight serious infectious diseases like measles and polio and future pandemics. He's speaking out, despite receiving regular death threats for his work. Have a listen. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. There's a physician who practices in Texas that I'd like you to meet. You know about my Canadian roots? Vaguely. Tell me. So uh, my grandfather grew up in the Jewish quarter of Paris, and then his parents were an actor and actress in the Yiddish theater in Paris, and they got divorced. The biologic father went to Montreal, came and got him, so he grew up. He spent a lot of time in Montreal and then made his way down eventually to Hartford, Connecticut, where, where I was born. And, but I grew up as a Habs fan because my grandfather used to tell me about Boom Boom Jeffreyon and, and Maurice Rocket Richard, and there you are. That's Professor Peter Hotez. When I think of Hotez, I think of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who served as the U.S. administration's chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden and point person on covid Hotez's bio is just as impressive. My name is uh, Peter Hotez. I'm a pediatrician scientist who's a professor of pediatrics and molecular virology at Baylor College of Medicine and the co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development. So for 40 years, I've been developing new vaccines for parasitic infections and neglected tropical diseases affecting low- and middle-income countries, and then started making uh, coronavirus vaccines, including a COVID vaccine that's reached 100 million people. Hotez led efforts to develop that vaccine at the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development. It's a low-cost, recombinant protein COVID vaccine that got emergency use authorization in India. His long bio reads like Fauci's. Hotez is also the dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine, a professor at Baylor University, senior fellow at the Scowcroft Institute of International Affairs at Texas A&M University, and on and on. Like Fauci, Hotez has been a fixture on U.S. media. Here he is on MSNBC talking about bivalent COVID vaccines. Most important message that I have this morning is get your new bivalent booster. And the reason you have to get it is two reasons. Uh, we now know that once you're four or five months out of your previous booster, your risk of hospitalization goes up. So there's this buzz out there that mm. says, oh, you don't really need to get the booster mm. because it's only, it's, we are not stopping infection anyway, but no, the booster's actually keeping people out of the hospital. Second, yeah. you need to get this new bivalent booster. Hotez and Fauci have something else in common. 
both have received death threats for their pro-vaccine views. Hotez first became a target after publishing his 2018 book, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, My Journey as a Vaccine Scientist, Pediatrician, and Autism Dad. His new book, The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science, A Scientist's Warning, describes the transformation of the anti-vaccine movement into what he calls anti-science, a political enterprise that sometimes advocates aggression, including violence. He says failing to take this movement on now will threaten the capacity of governments to fight serious infectious diseases, including pandemics, down the road. Professor Peter Hotez, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thanks for having me. You're a physician and a scientist, and you've been threatened with violence. Can you tell me about the first time that happened? Well, it's been going on actually for a couple of decades when I decided to confront this rising anti-vaccine activism uh, here in the United States, which is particularly strong here in Texas. I have four adult kids, including Rachel has autism, and when I wrote the book, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, that kind of made me public enemy number one or two with anti-vaccine groups because the movement was largely founded on false claims that vaccines cause autism. And and unfortunately, it's it's taken on more of a political dimension. So in the past, it would be small non-governmental organizations opposed to what I was saying. But now, you know, the you have the Proud Boys marching in anti-vaccine rallies. It's been adopted by political extremists on the far right. So you have Steve Bannon on social media, of all people, calling me a criminal and, and this sort of thing. And and so it's taken this very dark tone. And the fact that it's endorsed by extremist politics in the United States is, is really concerning. Has your family been threatened? Uh, not so much directly, but, you know, we've we've had people stalk me uh, in public, whether I'm giving a lecture or even at home. And, and of course, online, there's just nasty references to everything, including my Rachel, my daughter with special needs. My goodness. I noticed in the preface to your new book, The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science, you thanked a long list of law enforcement agencies. Remind me which ones. Well, this, you know, they've been protecting me, uh, you know, as the aggression has gotten revved up and expanded and has become politically motivated. So, you know, when a recent episode when I had Bannon and Elon Musk, of all people, go after me or, or Joe Rogan, I had, you know, Houston police officer parked in front of my house or Harris County Sheriff. And, you know, I get crazy things happening. Swastika sent to my home because they know I'm Jewish from a cross state line so that brings in the fbi and the texas medical center police helps to coordinate it so it's a whole group of people that are protecting me and and my family you know i'm so grateful for it that i wanted to acknowledge them in the book protecting you from whom who's behind the threats i mean i can't tell you exactly who's threatening me oftentimes it's anonymous um They don't leave a lot of information in their emails when they say the Army of Patriots is coming to hunt me down. Or, But the nature of the attacks in terms of its its political references leads me to think that a lot of it are extremists on the far right and their adherents. And we're going to get to some of that in a moment. There are some famous people 
who have dissed you, attacked you, including former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. He mentioned you previously. We have a short clip about that. You might have noticed that a lot of people in your world don't trust doctors these days. That's not a good sign. Probably half people you know are exploring alternative medical cures right now. Why is that happening? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but Dr. Peter Hotez is definitely one of those reasons. Hotez is a pediatrician who spent his life studying tropical parasites. He wouldn't seem to be the obvious go-to guest for COVID. Unfortunately for all of us, when Peter Hotez speaks, he discredits American medicine. He is a misinformation machine. You know, as an inventor of a COVID vaccine, how do you react to that? Yeah, he neglects to say a whole aspect of my scientific research career, which is developing coronavirus vaccines and being one of the few true COVID vaccine scientists in, in, in the United States. And we developed a low-cost uh, COVID vaccines, and those prototype vaccines have now reached o- almost 100 million people of doses administered in, in India and, and Indonesia. And the irony, I think that was, he went on that rant the day that I was announced that I was co-nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for that work. So, you know, this is, this is how the disinformation empire works. And, 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 you know, they only give half the story or a part of the story and they neglect to tell the most important part of the story, which I've been working on coronavirus is, you know, probably more coronavirus expertise than all of their talking heads that they've had on combined. An analysis by the watchdog group Media Matters and social science research group ETH Zurich found that during the Delta and Omicron waves of COVID, Fox News anchors, including Tucker Carlson, spread false information about COVID vaccines. Can you talk about anti-science and anti-science aggression, which you, which you mention at length in the book? What do you mean by those terms? Well, I I use it to differentiate it from what people too often call misinformation or infodemic, as though it were just some random junk that showed up on social media or or on the internet. And and I make the point that no, no, not in this case. It it was organized. It was well-financed. It was um, led by powerful organizations such as the GOP House Freedom Caucus and certain senators uh, in the United States Senate uh, actively promoting disinformation. It was uh, Fox News. It was contrarian intellectuals and pseudo-intellectuals talking heads. It was a whole ecosystem. And, and so I call it what it is, which is anti-science as a, as a killing force. This is hard as hell to talk about because, you know, all of our training as physicians and scientists or my training was that you don't talk about politics, right? You're supposed to be politically neutral, but somehow we have to uncouple the anti-science and the anti-vaccine activism and, and the attacks on scientists from all the other stuff because this is really destroying the fabric of society. And I always come back to this point. 200,000 Americans needlessly perished because they refused the COVID vaccine. And that's why we need to care. And more recently, I gather anti-science aggression has kind of been grafted onto the culture wars in the United States. Seems that way, doesn't it? As though it's just, yeah, another piece of the culture wars. I say, no, you can't treat this one the same way. And the reason is because unlike other aspects of the culture wars, this one is a killer. And it's not stopping. It's not like now that COVID-19, you know, eventually we'll get on the other side of this is 
the, it's not like the anti-science movement's going to go away. It's now looking at other things to target, like all childhood and adult immunizations, or or targeting virology in general and virologists, or targeting other aspects of biomedicine. And it's globalizing. This is no longer confined to the United States. You see this, what's going on in Canada with some of the health freedom and medical freedom rhetoric, or in Central Europe, where you have in Germany. You're seeing this now spill over into low and middle income countries. So we could even reverse all of the successes we've had in the last two decades around measles immunization or whooping cough pertussis immunization. Um, and, and so I'm worried about that. This is globalized and it's going to affect global public health at multiple levels. You've mentioned COVID a couple of times, and I'd like to go there. I want to ask you, what role has COVID played in the origins of anti-science and hostility towards scientists? I think it was an accelerant in the few years before COVID. You started to see the politicization of this. So I think in part because many of us were successful at debunking a lot of the autism links, you know, providing an alternative narrative, the genetic and epigenetic basis of autism rather than vaccines. Hotez played an important role in that debunking. At Baylor College of Medicine's Department of Genetics, he had a portion of daughter Rachel's genome sequenced and in the process likely identified a new gene for autism. I think that took the wind out of their sails and and they're, so to reinvent themselves, they started rallying around these concepts of health freedom, medical freedom, especially in states like Texas, and basically saying, you can't tell us what we want to do about our kids. And vaccination rates started to decline locally in Texas, Idaho, other Western states. And that really amplified during COVID-19 because that same kind of health freedom rhetoric really took off and got full, full on adopted by a political agenda in the United States. They had some fuel to go on. I wanted to, to talk about a couple of things, give you a chance to respond. A lot of scientists were wrong about COVID being spread only by droplets and not being airborne, just as they were wrong about masking, at least early on. To what extent did things like that give critics issues with which to discredit scientists? Well, it didn't help but, you know, what I'll say is, sure, during a new pandemic with a new virus agent, one should expect that there are going to be missteps. I think in the past, you know, people understood that and one could explain that, say, look, this has changed. We've learned new things about the virus and we have to recalculate accordingly. For example, that you need more than one booster to be protected against COVID. But when you have all of this um, anti-vaccine, anti-science aggression, you know, looking for slips and then amplifying it and blowing it up, I think that's what caused the damage. And sure, there was some miscommunication, but if each time it gets blown up by groups with a political agenda, then it makes it really, really tough. Another one of, of your critics has been Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, he's been a pretty constant critic. And uh, recently, Joe Rogan, who has one of the most popular podcasts in the world, um, had him on the show and offered you $100,000 to your favorite charity to debate RFK Jr. on his show. Here's a bit of Rogan sharing your answer to that with his podcast audience. I don't think he wants to do it. You know, and this, there's the idea that, like, Robert Kennedy would be too silver-tongued. Like, oh, stop, come on. Uh, 
because he's a lawyer. You either have facts or you don't have facts. So why'd you turn that invitation down? Well, because I'm just a silver tongue. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, here, here's the reason. I mean, you uh, could have mopped I, the floor I, with him. Potentially, but you know, it, it, it serves to legitimize him as a serious person in this space. I mean, I've gone up against Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as a favor to the National Institutes of Health. He's such an ardent anti-vaccine activist, and it was brokered by an intermediary, and, and it was not very productive. He was deeply dug in, unwilling to listen to any of the explanations. And what he did was he kept on moving the goalposts. I mean, you couldn't pin him down whether he was talking about the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine causing autism or thimerosal preservative that used to be in vaccines or spacing vaccines too close together, alum in vaccines, and he would shift to HPV vaccine saying it was causing infertility. And it was an exhausting exercise, you know, just, you know, playing whack-a-mole with him. And I knew that's what a public discussion would look like as, as well. And I just didn't think uh, that would be very productive. RFK Jr. is running for the Democratic nomination for president. He's obviously not going to get it. I wanted to ask you, there's a, there's a high likelihood right now, at least, if you look at the polls, that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for president. And I want to ask you how much you fear another Trump presidency from the standpoint of anti-science and anti-science aggression. Well, you know, one of the things I say in, in the very beginning of the book is that this is not about President Trump. And... Um, he certainly didn't help things very much. But on the other hand, you know, most of the events that I talk about in the book when so many Americans refused to get vaccinated were, were post-Trump. And, you know, maybe there was some intangible influence. But, you know, the, the anti-vaccine aggression that happened in 2021 and 2022 was well after uh, Trump was, was out of office. This is uh, bigger than Trump and, and even darker than Trump in some ways. We'll be right back. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. My guest this week is Professor Peter Hotez, an American scientist, pediatrician, global health advocate, and vaccine developer. His new book, The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science, A Scientist's Warning, is about the anti-science political movement. Hotez speaks mostly about the U.S., but knows what's gone on in Canada. The three-week trucker convoy protest gridlocked downtown Ottawa and led Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to declare a national emergency that granted temporary powers to clear out demonstrators. That protest got U.S. media attention. Here's Fox News host Sean Hannity. In a call, Biden and Trudeau agreed that these truckers at the border pose a serious problem, and the Canadian Prime Minister promised, quote, quick action on enforcing the law. Sean. That's what it's all about. Send our love, our prayers, our solidarity. Keep it peaceful. And I predict they will win in the end. Hang in there. 
Do you see a connection between anti-science in the U.S. and the self-described freedom convoy that occurred in Canada? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I first of all, I never didn't even realize there was a much of an anti-vaccine movement in Canada. I, you know, maybe I have this romantic view of Canada. I always think of you as a very enlightened uh, population and an enlightened uh, uh, country. But I think and, we were all enlightened and, to find out otherwise. Well, I, th- I think you are. It's just in this case, it, it's a minority. But what impressed me far-right conservative anti-vaccine activists committed to health freedom in the United States had important roles in either funding or encouraging the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa protests. It's also relevant that some of the crowdfunding contributors were identified as prominent conservative or GOP donors based in the United States. So the point is, yeah, I'm sure there were some homegrown pieces to it, but I think a good part of it was, was engineered by the same dark forces that caused so many Americans to lose their lives in our anti-vaccine movement during the COVID wave. I'm going to switch up topics a bit. I'm an emergency physician, not a scientist. How has anti-science aggression spilled over onto frontline physicians, nurses, paramedics, and other healthcare providers? Well, you've you've seen, you know, the you know loved ones, you know, screaming at the uh, ICU staff, the intensive care unit staff, and nurses for uh, ivermectin when a massive data shows ivermectin has no impact on COVID nineteen and people who took ivermectin instead of instead of getting vaccinated with tragic uh, consequences and you know the attacks on on healthcare providers as well and I think that's precipitated a lot of demoralization or what we sometimes call burnout in, in the profession. And so many physicians, at least in the U.S., nurses and physicians have, have left the and, and other therapists have left the profession because of this. And, and that's really disheartening as well. There are, of course, other issues. Uh, in the case of nurses, it's low pay, lack of respect, onerous working conditions, in part brought on by the pandemic. But I can certainly tell you that on a number of occasions, I had to drive through protests just to get to work to do a shift in the emergency department. That's terrible. That's terrible. What do you think it's going to take to combat anti-science here in Canada and the United States? So this is the hardest question. And I'm not sure I know because I'm not sure the health sector knows what to do because this is really a, a political movement now linked to authoritarianism. So let's bring in experts who understand how other dangerous political movements operate, like global terrorism or nuclear proliferation or cyber attacks, because anti-science activism is killing at least as many people as, as, as those things are. And get some input. What are some of the levers, legal levers that we can pull and push? Or, or I said to Dr. Tedros at WHO, I don't know that on its own, the World Health Organization can hand do this because it's so much, so tightly linked to the political sector. Let's bring in other UN agencies or, or maybe security organizations like NATO or the Munich Security Summit to really help us understand what the options are to do something about this. We could spend an entire show just talking about X, what used to be known as Twitter, What role does social media play in fanning anti-science or combating anti-science? 
Well, it's certainly a, an, an important factor. I mean, during the pandemic, Twitter, I thought in many respects was a force for good, you know, and it, and and that it, they had uh, shut out a lot of the most ardent anti-vaccine activists and, and some of the real aggressive uh, personalities. And that gave the scientific community more freedom to exchange ideas. I think now, however, in this new version, version 2.0 of Twitter now, I guess called X, uh, a lot of the anti-vaccine, anti-science people have been brought back and I think they're once again causing a lot of damage and, un and uncertainty and I'm still trying to stay with it for, for now. I've had to do things like shut off my replies, which is which is unfortunate, but you know, it's just been filled nonstop with, with death threats and symbols of fascism, even Nazi symbols, and that's that's a non starter. So we'll we'll see how, how it goes. But right now I think X is is very become a very challenging place um, to provide accurate and timely um, scientific and health information. I want to close out by by focusing more on the consequences, and I'm reminded that fall is in the air, and already there are warnings that our healthcare systems might see a repeat of last winter's tridemic of COVID, flu, and RSV, which packed hospitals and emergency departments with patients, and it tested the capacity of the healthcare system. How concerned are you about that? Well, we are seeing a rise in, in COVID cases. On the other hand, it's starting from one of the lowest points we've ever had, which was, in, at least in the U.S., and, and I think in Canada as well. But the hospitalizations are increasing, you know, 10, 20 percent over the last couple of weeks. So we have, so it's important for people to be mindful. And even though I think the hospitalizations won't approach anything near what it was. For an individual, that doesn't really help your own situation. You have to be mindful of your own health status, your risk factors, and the last time you were boosted. And it's not just COVID. There are other infections that we need to be concerned about. Paint us a picture of what the stakes are in the future, in the near future, well, if, kinda, if we I, don't address anti-science and anti-science aggression. Well, if this anti-vaccine movement spills over into all childhood immunizations, and I think it's, there's some evidence that that's starting to happen, then we could see the return of measles. And we've had polio, for instance, in, in the wastewater in New York, in the wastewater in London. And that would be terrible if we allowed that one to come back. So I'm worried all these extraordinary gains that we've had over the last two decades. I worry about that unraveling. What, if anything, gives you hope? Well, a few things. Um, you might even say I'm surprised you're hopeful, Dr. Hotez. Well, part of it is I spent my life working on something called neglected diseases. And so you... <laughs> You have to be optimistic when you work on something called neglected diseases. I think the technology has reached a point where many more vaccines are going to be possible. And we're also understanding better, not only on the vaccine side and the pathogen side, but on the host side, meaning us, you know, who is more vulnerable to vaccine side effects, who's more likely to respond robustly to a vaccine. So the pace of the science is really quite extraordinary. And that gives me hope. On the other side, the politicization of it, I, I don't, you know, in the past I would have said, well, you know, once people see, you know, a measles epidemic in their community, it'll autocorrect. But the fact that this did not autocorrect after 200,000 Americans needlessly perished from COVID, 
that gives me pause. I don't know that this is going to autocorrect. And so I'm certainly concerned, and I think we do have to take this anti-science movement seriously, and, and that's the call for the book. Glad you came on White Coat Black Art to talk about it. Professor Peter Hotez, thank you so much for speaking with us. Oh, thanks, and thanks for giving uh, this a voice, and I appreciate your very, very insightful questions. I can't stop thinking about the last thing Professor Hotez said. If 200,000 COVID deaths among Americans who were unvaccinated can't convince skeptics to roll up their sleeves, what will? That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Amina Zoffer with help from our senior producer, Colleen Ross. Our digital producer was Philip Drost, and our digital writer was Abby Hughes. Technical operations were by Laud Antonelli. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. That was Taking on Anti-Science from White Coat Black Art. You can subscribe to the White Coat Black Art podcast to explore their vast archive. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.